Welcome to Legal Nurse Podcast, where you will get tips to expand your legal nurse consulting skills. Every week, you'll hear from experts from within and outside of legal nurse consulting. They will share their knowledge to help you grow. Your show is moderated by Pat Iyer, a legal nurse consultant with 30 years experience. So join our community, sit back, relax, and get ready to learn. Here's Pat. Hi, this is Pat Iyer with Legal Nurse Podcast. I have the pleasure of bringing to you Stormy Green, who is a legal nurse consultant, has been in practice since 2013, and I think I've known Stormy for all of that time. She is a scrub nurse, circulator, educator, manager, director, RN first assistant in her nursing career, and now runs a nationwide company that provides LNCs who observe IMEs or DMEs. And we're going to get into what that alphabet soup means in just a minute. Stormy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Pat, and thank you for having me here. I know that our listener who is not based in the United States will say, okay, Pat and Stormy, tell us what is an IME? Why do you call it an IME? Do you call it a DME? Are those two terms used interchangeably? What's the deal? Yes and no. And all of that. <laughs> it is. Um, it can be very confusing, especially if you're from another part of the world where we don't practice law exactly the same way. Um, for us in the United States, an IME means an independent medical exam. Most often, these are related to cases that are workers' comp and so forth, um, congenital injuries and so forth. But we also use the term interchangeably with DME or a defense medical exam. Um, it's a little bit different, and this is what our focus will be today. These are cases that are usually personal injury or medical malpractice in nature. Um, so the defense medical exam, sometimes also called a demand, and there's a reason for that, it's because the defense has demanded this exam. And um, from there, I'll go a little bit into the process that we usually see here in this country. When the person is injured, there's a lot of litigation that goes on before the, or there's, I should say there's a lot going on in the litigation process before we come to the point where we, when we're doing a medical exam. When we reach the point where we're doing medical exams, they're hoping the client or patient, the plaintiff, has reached their um, ultimate recovery. And part of the exam is to determine if they have reached this ultimate recovery, if there are any still undiscovered consequences of the injuries or others that have developed because of the injuries, and to pretty much analyze all of that. Here, because this is demanded by the defense side, the defense will hire the doctor or examiner. It's not always a doctor, um, but the examiner, and they're paying for that person. We expect that person to be biased, unbiased, I mean, but 
the fact remains that they are paid for by that side. In my personal experience, I do believe that the examiners try to be unbiased, um, but the, they're still, you know, the paycheck comes from somewhere, they still know that. Um, so we'll get a letter, it's called a demand letter because they're demanding this medical exam. And it goes to the plaintiff and to that plaintiff's attorney. Um, in this country, this may not apply in other countries, but in our country, these usually come from insurance companies, but the client may not have insurance. They may have hired an independent attorney, but the process will be the same. That defense attorney will demand this exam. When the plaintiff's attorney gets the letter, it usually has facts in it, things in it that he does not want to agree to. So he writes a letter called the response to the demand. Sounds confusing. So we short, shorten it to either the response or the response letter. Um, and this is where the nurse or the observer really needs to pay attention to this letter because these are the directions that you will be following when you attend an exam. Um, they usually start out by saying, yes, we agree, not these words, of course, but we agree that this client will attend this exam on this date by this examiner at this time and this address. That's the whole synopsis there. Then the letter will go on about the parts, the um, original letter they don't agree to. For example, we usually won't allow additional x-rays, blood draws, um, anything that will be painful for this patient or uncomfortable. We'll talk about um, the amount of time the examiner can take. For most exams, if they're physical, like um, orthopedic or neuro, which the majority are, they can be other things too, like dentist, eyes, um, ENT, I've had all of those, podiatrists. But they usually put a maximum amount of time that physician can take or that examiner can take to perform that exam. And it's usually about two hours. Um, if it's into other issues like um, neuro, like psych, psychi psychiatric issues, like post-traumatic, post I can say that today, I'll have to get a drink in a second here, post-traumatic stress syndrome, um, they'll go for a different type of exam. It's called a neuropsych exam, and those take longer. Usually they try to do those in blocks of either four hours or eight hours, I've had them go longer, as long as 11 hours for me. Um, and I know, yeah? That's a long time, 11 hours to be examined? I, I was miserable. <laughs> I was miserable than the client. Uh, but I've heard of longer, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. um, in this one case that I'm thinking about, the client was actually given an option of coming back the next day, which is not unusual, but she chose to stay. And I called the attorney and he said, let's just get it done. We had a hard time getting this arranged with this client anyway. So that's why he did that. But yes, they can go on for a longer period of time. A lot of times, if they're going on excessively, it's really the client that made it do that. Because they, if they're doing testing, it took an unusually long amount of time to, to do the testing so forth. It's not usually the examiner that's causing it to go on. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
So you've described a process paid for by the insurance company with the objective of a supposedly unbiased exam by an examiner who's being paid by the insurance company. And one of the suspicions or the concerns among plaintiff attorneys is that the examiners who are being paid by the insurance company have a big incentive to keep telling the insurance company, oh, no, that person's not injured. No, that person can go back to work. No, that person doesn't have any consequences of the injury. Is it truly an unbiased exam? That's a concern. It, it is a concern, and it depends largely on the examiner. Um, I have had some examiners where I couldn't agree more, really. But others, um, I really have felt like they're being, um, they're trying to be fair and so forth. And we'll be talking a little bit later about some of the standards and so forth that are put forth, at least here in our country for our examiners. Um, and it obligates them to do things like, um, this, this is actually answering another question later. But for example, if they find something in the exam that the clients or the plaintiff's own physicians had missed, they're obligated to bring it out in their reports. Mm. And I've had, I've actually had, and later I'll give the information about that organization, they certify examiners. Um, I've actually had two cases come to mind where doctors actually did that, not, not just in their reports, but to me personally, because they wanted to be sure that the plaintiff's attorney knew this. Um, one of them was a lady who had a, I don't know if anyone knows what a, a Popeye muscle is. The, there's a tear in the, uh, one of the heads of the biceps and it makes it look like a Popeye muscle. Mm -hmm. uh, always. So this client, the, the doctor asked if she was aware of this and she said, yes, I know it looks different, but her doctor had never addressed it. So he wanted to be sure that was brought out because if it's early enough after the injury, we can repair that surgery. Mm -hmm. um, another one was a um, young, it was a young girl, she was 15 and she was in a terrible accident with her family. And he noticed that she was unable to, I'm gonna do this for people who don't know, supinate her arm, you know, turn it this way. She was unable to do that fully. And he handled it a little differently. He saw, he said he would put this in his report and I believe he did, but he asked me to go out in the hallway with them. I don't think he wanted this recorded. Um, and in the hallway, he explained that he was really concerned because of her age and that this has never been addressed. She was another one where none of her doctors have looked at that. And these were her own physicians. And he wanted me to be sure to take that information back to the um, the attorney, her attorney. So what I'm saying is I, I do think the tendency to be biased is there, but I think many of these examiners do try to not be biased and do try to adhere by those kinds of rules, the guidelines that they have. Tell us about 
What is the purpose of hiring a legal nurse consultant to watch an IME and prepare a report? This is important. It's so important. Um, the advantage of having a legal nurse, well, first of all, I'm going to preface this, for again, we have a lot of people from other countries, um, and even some parts of this country, they're hesitant to allow an observer. But in this country, we are allowed to have observers for the most part. Uh, attorneys used to go on these exams themselves or send their paralegals, but they realize they don't really understand what's going on in the exam. So that's the advantage of having a nurse. Um, and nurses spend more time with the patients than anybody else, even their own doctors. The nurses are there with them. Um, anytime the doctor's with the, with the patient, they're examining patients, they're doing the same tests, and the nurses are watching. So they do understand. They don't perform the test themselves unless they're a nurse practitioner, but they are familiar with these. And that's what makes them um, advantageous also for if a case, if, if they do need to be deposed or do need to go to um, a court for trial about the case, they have a little more background than a lay person, like a paralegal or a spouse or, or someone who, who has no medical background. All right. I got that. We talked about the advantages of using an LNC because of understanding the medical terminology, but not all LNCs understand the tests that are used, particularly some of the orthopedic and the neuro tests. What are some of the resources that we can use in writing up that report that would explain those tests? We have lots of them. <laughs> we, have, we have the internet for starters. Um, Number one, if a nurse is observing a test and does not know the name of the test, that's okay. She can describe what she saw happen, how the doctor moved the leg or the examiner moved the body part, what they did. Um, so she can describe that. And most importantly, and this is what I find most nurses have trouble remembering to do, the patient's response, the client's response. Mm -hmm. You can list even if you know the name of every test, you could list 25 tests that were done, but that doesn't help the attorney if you haven't included the client response. So that, that's really, really important. Um, so what I advise people to do as, as they're learning, um, we'll go into talking to the client a little bit later, but one thing that you'll do when you do talk to the client ahead of the ahead of schedule, usually a day or two before, you will ask what their injuries are if you don't already know. Um, and so say someone hurts their right shoulder. I remind them, make sure you say your right shoulder or your left shoulder. They have to keep saying it, especially when you're recording, because it won't be on the recorder if you're just saying this shoulder. Um, so you know the patient hurt their shoulder. So go on the internet and look and see what um, what exams. Well, the first time look, I don't go to YouTube yet. First, I go on the internet and look at the type of exam for this shoulder injury and what to expect that doctor to do. And then you'll see the names of them, jot them down, watch the, or listen or read about the process. And then we go to YouTube. Is that international, Pat? 
Does everyone have YouTube? Absolutely. Okay. So we can all we can all agree on that. YouTube is wonderful. So you've gone on the internet, you found out what the exams are, or what the tests, I mean, what they are, and then you can go to YouTube and look them up to see them in practice. When you do that, if you're going to be um, visiting with a doctor, try to get the same kind of a practitioner doing the exam that will be done. Like if it's a chiropractor, they may be using a little bit different terminology as than a doctor. So try to get this practitioner and just see what they do and what to expect. And they'll tell you, um, for example, if they're gate checking, that person should be walking at least 20 feet. And that'll, you you know, it's just a little tidbit. Um, but when you're in the examination room, not many of the examiners have the patient go out in the hallway and walk 20 feet. They'll have them walk four, five, maybe as much as eight feet in the room. But that wasn't a full exam when it comes down to it because they didn't go at least 20. So those are just little tidbits that you learn by doing that kind of research. I just saw a phrase in a report written by a DME doctor who said, that the patient was able to walk much more briskly out of the office than she could when her gait was being tested. Excellent. Excellent. And what's the implication of that, Stormy? Before we continue with the show, I'd like to share this special announcement with you. Hey, I'm Pat Iyer, and I am delighted to bring to you Dr. Kathleen Ashton, who is a legal nurse consultant, expert witness, and uh, a staff nurse who takes care of patients in a step-down unit. Kathleen is going to be one of the speakers at our March 23, 24, 25, 2023 Legal Nurse Success online conference. Kathleen is a expert witness who got involved in a case that I was also involved in, in the infamous Charles Cullen, who is a registered nurse, not practicing anymore, serving seven life sentences in a prison in New Jersey. Kathleen was involved in the case, as was I, and we'd like to share with you just a few tips about what we're gonna cover in this session. So I'll start by welcoming Kathleen and asking you, Kathleen, what are some of the topics that you're going to cover in your session? Well, thank you, Pat. Hello, everyone. Yes, I'm a legal nurse consultant, and I was asked to review one of the cases that Charles Cullen was involved in, and he was actually named in the Affidavit of Merit that I prepared. I was asked to look at the case and see if there was any involvement in uh, in his actions, any relationship to vital sign changes, anything like that. What I did was I reviewed the materials and I, was, uh, I accomplished what I was asked to do, but then I also thought that there were many things that were very interesting about this case. And those elements have ramifications and repercussions for nurses. So I'll be talking about what I did, what I accomplished, the lessons learned, the interesting things, and how that impacts nursing practice today. 
what the law was at the time that he was practicing and doing these deeds, as well as how the law has now changed in response to this, this case. Thank you. I look forward to hearing what you have to say. Kathleen and I are co-presenting this session. I was hired by one of the prosecutors to look at the medical records from one specific facility where Charles worked as a new graduate and to match up the people who died with Charles' work schedule to see if we could determine which patients he killed. You'll find out how I went about that task, what my conclusions were, and an overview of how Charles was able to kill patients for 17 years without being detected. I know this is a session you won't want to miss. It's taking place at our March 23, 24, 25, 2023 LNC online conference. That's LNC Success. You can get registration information right below this video at the link lnc.tips forward slash March 2023 virtual. This is a three-day online event that you can attend from the comfort of your own home without all the travel expenses and exposure that's involved in going to a conference. Save your seat by getting the ticket now at lnc.tips forward slash March 2023 virtual. And if you see this video after the conference, we will have replays available and you'll be able to find out in detail what happened with Charles Cullen and his murderous ways. Thanks. See you there. Now let's return to the show. The implication of that is kind of obvious. It would look very suspicious that this person is um, not being forthright about their injuries. And as a nurse who attended a DME, when I see this, I make sure I share that with the attorney too. Mm -hmm. I'll have to say um, by far, 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 the majority of my patients or clients, I should say, I feel are, are genuine about their injuries, but there've been a few where I think that this isn't ringing true to me. I'm obviously not going to say anything while we're in the exam or even to that client, but I share that impression with the attorney because you can be pretty sure the examiner used that as well. And I have talked to attorneys who have warned their clients that the minute they get on the property and start walking into the building, they could be under observation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's talk about the report writing. I know okay. you've got some strategies that you'd like to share on how you as the legal nurse consultant prepare that document after the exam. This is, um, your report is incredibly important for your attorney. Um, there are some things that are absolutely crucial to be on there. And I usually start on mine. I have, everybody kind of has their own template and that's fine. But at the top of mine, I have a little table where I list things um, that like the time I arrive, the time the client arrives, we meet, okay? And I always have them meet me outside of the office. We never meet in the office. If you need to, 
you've got that on Google Maps. They're wonderful. Um, if I haven't been to the site before, I'll look at it from the aerial view or from the street view or both and see, you know, where will I be able to park? And then when I talk with that client, I can give them the same information and we pinpoint a place that will meet at least 15 minutes before the exam. Mm -hmm. We want them to enter the exam without you. So on the report, I have the time we arrived, uh, the time we entered the office. Usually when I walk into the office, I have them go sit down and I sign us in. And I've never, I've never had a receptionist have a problem with that. So I'll, I'll sign us both in. I tell them the client's here, here with me. Watch for the arrival of other key people. Like um, if you have an interpreter, I say that because we have a lot of interpreters out here. We have many, many languages, everything from Spanish, obviously, but we have Mandarin, Cantonese, Korean, you name it. We've probably seen it, and I'm sure you have too, where, where you are. So the time the interpreter arrives in this country, our for medical exams, our interpreters need to be certified. So get their certification number and put it down. I put it right there with the um, time they arrived and their name. Um, so anybody- Why can't they have a family member be the interpreter? Pardon? Why cannot they have a family member be interpreter? Well, there is a bias if they do, for one thing. Another thing is you you don't know if they're actually interpreting with the same um, verbiage that you mm -hmm. intend. It may not be identical. Interpreters should be able to understand what you're saying and put it into appropriate words for the for the client. I have had a few nurses that have occasionally needed to use a family member. Um, when it comes to mine was not my case, but it was, I can't even remember what the language was. It was something very, very unusual. And there were no interpreters in the state even for that language. And they did allow a family member for that one. Mm -hmm. um, the, it, it can happen, but your preference is to have someone who's certified in medical interpretation. Okay. And then your role as an IME slash DME nurse examiner is to document everything that you see. And I know that you started talking about that before we went off on a different pathway. What kinds of notes do you take during the exam? Are you allowed to record in every state in the country? You know, how does that process work? Not well, that's recording first. Not every jurisdiction allows recording. However, if they do, you need to have a good recorder. Make sure you're able to connect it to a USB port so you can send the recording to your, the audio recording to your attorney afterwards. Mm. So, depends on regulations for the state. Um, might go, we might come back to that about states too, Pat, in a little bit, okay? Um, because if it's filed in a different state, there are different criteria that I'd like to do. So remind me to come back to that. Um, so while I'm in the, in the medical exam, I take copious notes. And I mean copious. I take a lot of notes. Um, at the same time, 
for all of mine, I've been able to record. So I'm recording simultaneously. And at the same time, you're watching the client. When you're watching for any kind of response, if they make a face or um, the doctor rolls his eyes, things like that. You, you have to keep your eye out because things do happen. So you're very busy. Sometimes attorneys want um, you to video record as well. I always recommend that they get a, a videographer because we're all, you know, it's watching the client, watching the doctor. Um, it's it's too, we can multitask, but you're going to have diminishing returns. So there really should be another part. So uh, sometimes they've even had attorneys come with me so they can video record. Okay. And then everything like I always do. And that's fine too. Um, they, they don't interrupt or interfere at all. They're just there to report. Um, mm -hmm. Back to the reports, the times that you uh, meet your client, you come in the office, the time that you're either escorted or directed to the back office. And usually if I'm escorted back, there should be a medical assistant or someone to escort me. Sometimes it's the doctor personally doing it. But make sure you have that person's name, full name, first and last, and their role. Um, you don't want to find out later it was an attorney from the other side or something like that. So be sure you have all that information. Uh, we're in the exam room. I put the time the physician enters, the time he starts his, um, usually they do a history first or an interview, mm -hmm. the, time that, the time it ends, the time they start their physical exam, the time it ends, and the time we leave the office. Those are crucial times. But I write other times as I go along. Patient stands up for checking gate, the time. Mm -hmm. Times are really, really helpful when you go to report your, or go to write your report, because maybe you didn't quite catch what someone said and you want to listen to it again. But if you know that it happened, I make mark or in my notes to check that. So if you know what time it happened, you know what time stamp to look for on recording, and you can find it and get the correct word. Do you get those audio files transcribed? I do not. I have not needed to. Um, the attorneys can if they want to. Mm -hmm. I do listen to portions of them at times uh, to be sure that I heard something accurately or, you know, you want your reports to be accurate. And are there any terms or expressions that you should not use in the report that you write? There, there are. There's some things that um, kind of concern me when I see my nurses writing them. Um, and where I'm going here, that we tend to, to document or write reports like we chart in the hospital. So our charting is truncated. We don't have full sentences. Um, we as other nurses, if I were to write like that, Pat would understand it. She's another nurse. But would a lay person understand it? A person on a jury, would an attorney understand it? So you need to be careful. Um, one I see nurses often write is uh, a patient is, they're doing the exam, physical exam, and the nurse might write pain noted. Well, what does that mean? Mm. I know there was pain. You need to spell it out for the people. Um, pain noted doesn't really say anything except pain. 
Um, did the patient wince? Did he say that hurts? Did he make a face? What, what happened that you made that made you think this patient was experiencing pain? Because you want to be sure it was truly pain he was experiencing too. Sometimes um, I, when I'm talking to patients ahead of time, I tell them to be sure to use their words. I have to remind them sometimes during the exam, um, doctor is standing behind you and I see you making a face. He can't see your face. If something hurts, you need to tell him. And you just have to remind them. Um, that's not really interfering. It's letting the doctor know that he's missing something there too. And they'll usually back me up on that. Uh, or maybe it's because they're so used to seeing me, they know they need to, I don't know. But um, you, you want to be careful, think about your words and also think about the end product. Uh, we like to think our reports will never be seen by anyone but the attorney, but don't count on it. Uh, think about if, say this ends up in court, in a courtroom, and you wrote something like patient complained of pain. Well, he's a complainer. Picture the other side, okay? Even your nurse says he's a complainer. Even your nurse says he denies pain. So think about what you're saying and put it in the terms that are really clear. This is what happened at this minute. And you're not making a general statement that something that could be interpreted as a generalized statement. So that's, that's kind of where I'm going with that is think about your words, give a complete thought and be sure you're documenting it's clear why you're saying what you're saying. I think my final question for you, Stormy, is if you had to give one critical tip for somebody who is interested in this role, what would you advise them to do? Call me. <laughs> I have I have mentored so many people, not just for my medical exams, but for their own in developing their own practice. Um, Rain Legal Nurse Consultants. Uh, my website's down right now, so I won't get that, but it's stormy at green, spelled just like the color, lnc.com. My telephone number is 928-263-1344. I'll repeat that, 928-263-1344. Um, we do, for nurses coming and being onboarded with my company, I'll start by looking at their resume or CV, whichever they have, to see what their background is, and we start working from there. I, I'll do the same thing with other people that I mentor. We'll have an interview. We'll talk about their background. Um, a lot of them know a lot more than they think they do. Mm -hmm down to it. They're nurses. They've been observing these things for years. So they do have a good background. Um, often they just need to put the name of the test together with the test itself. Um, a little trick I sometimes do in reports, um, and this helps, sometimes it's hard to describe um, a test. And I'm thinking about one like the Phelan's test, which is checking for carpal tunnel. I'm gonna put my hands up here, okay? So they press their hands together like this, and it's kind of hard to describe that position. They should hold that for one to two minutes. So I have little illustrations that I will insert into my reports. And I, I will say, hands position as for hate, failings. Uh, this test should be 
held, the hand should be held in that position for one to two minutes. Usually if there is an impingement, it'll show up within one minute. So a lot, a lot of doctors stop about one minute, but if they did this for 10 seconds, it's not enough. And you need to say it was not enough time in your report. So the little diagrams help when you're having trouble describing something and you don't really know the, the verbiage to use. I appreciate your tip, Stormy. I know that we could go on for hours, but we're not going to. Thank you for being a guest on Legal Nurse Podcast. And you've shared the email address where people can contact you if they've got additional questions, if they want to speak with you about being an observer on behalf of your company, they can contact you through your email address or your phone number. Thank you. Yes. Thank you, Pat. I'm happy You're welcome. Uh, I know the time goes fast and you probably have several more paragraphs in your mind of, oh, I didn't cover that point. I didn't cover this point. I encourage you as a person who's listening to this on the audio channels or watching it on Legal Nurse Business on our YouTube channel to be sure to contact Stormy if you would like further clarification or information from her and leave a comment if you're watching this on YouTube or give us a, a rating if you're listening to this on the audio channels. We enjoy seeing your ratings and comments and encourage you to come back and watch the next show of Legal Nurse Podcast. Thanks so much. Welcome to Legal Nurse Podcast, I'm Pat Iyer. The next speaker you will be meeting is Stormy Green, who's been a legal nurse consultant since 2013 and specializes in the training and provision of legal nurse consultants nationwide to attend what we call an IME or a DME. Can you describe for our viewer, Stormy, what are some of the topics that we covered during your podcast? Well, some of the topics we covered are what is a DME or IME? Uh, what is the role, its role in the litigation process in this country, in the United States? We talked about what the nurse is looking for and watching for during a DME. Um, and what the nurse should do if she's not familiar with a test that she sees an examiner performing. Um, also, we've talked about some tips in structuring a DME report. Now, we covered a lot of territory in this show and Stormy and I both agreed afterwards when we finished the recording that she could talk for hours on the subject. She's a knowledgeable LNC has made this a critical part of her business. Whether you've been completely out in the dark regarding IMEs and DMEs and have never attended one, or you've attended several, I know that you're going to get tips from this podcast. Be sure to watch for Stormy Green's podcast, and I'll see you on the next podcast. Thanks so much. Thank you, Kat. Coming up next, you're going to have an opportunity to meet Tiffany Kellogg. Tiffany is a person who 
spends her time and her focus helping people with getting referrals. We know as legal nurse consultants that we want our clients to give us referrals. We want people in our world to give us referrals to attorneys. And there are several components to making that a successful process. Tiffany and I covered some of those components in our podcast. Tiffany, what can our viewer expect to learn in your podcast? We're going to give our viewer a very simple way to share with everyone in a non-spam way what they do and what's going on well in their world, allowing people to learn more about them without it being, oh, let me tell you, they're, they're going to ask you. And then we're going to talk about who can be the right referral sources for you. How many do you need? How can you find them? And what can you do to develop the relationship to help you generate more referrals? There's a lot of meat and potatoes in Tiffany's program. Be sure to look for her podcast on Legal Nurse Podcast. It is Tiffany, T-I-F-F-A-N-I-E, Kellogg, K-E-L-L-O-G. Be sure to get her show. You'll be enervated, energized, and ready to start talking to people in a different way about your legal nurse consulting business. Thanks so much. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Check out Pat Iyer's resources for legal nurse consultants on LegalNurseBusiness.com. Pat coaches legal nurse consultants so they make more money, get more clients, and avoid expensive mistakes. Check out her coaching program at LNCAcademy.com. Please subscribe to our podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Join our community to get notified of each new episode and to receive the transcript of today's program. Complete the request form on podcast.legalnursebusiness.com. We appreciate you and your interest.